Did you know that studies have shown that employees feel that they are only able to work at 50% capacity currently? Imagine what your organisational output would be if they were firing on all four cylinders. Well, that's what we're discussing today and a process to, to manage that. Beyond Wellbeing, leading a thriving, generative and conscious workplace culture with Daryl Brown and Lena Mberku. So welcome to this episode of uh, Beyond Wellbeing. We have the pleasure of welcoming Sean Hall with us today. So Sean is a TEDx speaker, he's a mental health uh, practitioner and advocate, and also uh, the CEO of EnergyX. Sean, what, uh, what, what led you to wellbeing? Not being well. <laughs> Essentially, which I, I think is... is uh, I, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to, right? So uh, I would say um, I often talk about actually my mental health journey myself is almost like my second coming out, you know, and it's almost like this one was more scary and uh, talking, I guess, the facing the stigma about not being at your best. Um, for me, it all came to a head. I was uh, running brand strategy and marketing for a $9 billion telco brand. Um, I was managing a massive strategic transformation program at the time, impacting about 16 million customers. And I was working like just stupid hours, you know, like I would go to, I'd finish work, I'd leave work at 2 a.m. and I'd be back at six, you know, that sort of stuff. Um, and mm. I sort of, I joke that one of the lesser known warning signs of burnout is when you have to wear your Speedos for undies because you don't even have the time to do your washing. Um, <laughs> But I guess the, the really the serious tipping point of all of this was I actually found myself one day um, just wandering around David Jones, essentially not knowing how I got there. Uh, I just was really just sort of dazed and confused um, because I pushed myself to the limit. And I sort of say a lot of what was driving that behavior for me at the time was I was a yes guy, I was a perfectionist, I didn't know how to ask for help. Um, but no one was asking me to work till 2 a.m., you know, and, uh, you know, when I look back and I was looking at the ways to get myself well again, because that was really, I guess, a wake up call for me. Um, I realized, you know, I couldn't change my employer. I could only change myself. Um, and so I had to go, well, what don't I know? What decisions am I making that have led me to be vulnerable in this way? Um, and I think what I also, we talked about the mental health advocacy before. For me, the reason why I talk a lot about this is that there's a couple of things going on in the narrative around mental health. One is that it's binary, like you're either mentally healthy or you're not, which is not true. We're all on this sort of spectrum and we move up and down and depending on what, what we're dealing with at the time. Uh, and the second part, I guess, was that a lot of the attention around mental health actually focuses on those extreme elements. So depression, suicide, addiction, you know, anxiety. And I didn't have any of those. I just say that I basically was completely depleted, no gas left in the tank. I call what happened to me an energy crisis, you know, and I think that's what a lot of people have related to in the work I've been doing is like, we we know that we're sort of redlining it. We know that we're running on empty. We haven't quite experienced that, you know, that moment, um, but mm -hmm. how do we, how do we recognize the warning signs and then work to 
bring ourselves back, you know, and ultimately to, to have enough energy for the things that are most important to us. So if you were to meet somebody who is uh, with an empty tank and a red line at the moment, like what would you wish they know that you have found quite late? So. Right. So look, if I was to say the simplest thing, and this is the first place I start with all my clients now, is really about self-awareness, right? About, and it's about responsibility. Essentially, we are making lots and lots of decisions each day. A lot of those decisions are on autopilot. Uh, and I, what I believe is that basically in every moment, we're making a choice around those decisions. We're either choosing to deplete ourselves or making energy vampire decisions, I call them. You know, so not looking after ourselves, letting our inner critic beat us up comparing ourselves to others, not getting enough sleep or nourishing, I think I said nourishing already. Um, you know, so these are energy vampire decisions that we make, we're responsible for those, you know, or we can choose the opposite, which is to make an energist decision, which is a decision that energizes us, that fills up our tank. Uh, and the thing is that, you know, sometimes we just don't know what we don't know. And so that's where I always start people is just to reflect and look back on my day and go, how many of the decisions did I make today that were, were that were energy vampire versus energy decisions? And then over time, I'm going to start to, to shift that balance. Uh, and if I identify that I actually don't know how to change that decision I'm making, or it's reinforced or it's a habit, you know, is there a skill gap essentially uh, that I need to learn? Um, and that, that's really where it starts. So like you can't change unless you're aware. Right. And so, and so uh, I, I, I talk about the skill that I teach people as energy intelligence, essentially. Nice. Do, do I know, right, the decisions I'm making? Do I know what my goals are around my energy? Uh, how do I build my energy intelligence, uh, essentially, to uh, be able to understand the skills and the practices which are going to recharge my batteries? Um, and so what we say is that the definition of an energist, essentially, is someone that expands their own energy and then is able to expand the energy of others. So when you you um, are approached by organisations and enterprises looking to engage you, what are you finding often that they are wanting from you? What 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 are you what are you um, serving them with there? Yeah, so it's it's a great question. I think if I was to boil it down to a common theme, it, it literally is. Can you help us get our people to take more responsibility for their personal well-being, right? right. Their personal performance. Okay. Um, and so, and this is really where uh, we need to evolve the conversation, right? I, I, if you see my LinkedIn profile, I say I do well-being without the woo-woo, right? Yes. And, mm. and, and, and that's because we're just trying to make things very practical for people. And to, you know, energy intelligence is a translation of our, our intuition into data. Right. So we naturally feel things. I can ask you after any experience, you know, whether it's doing something like this or cooking a meal for friends or just sitting quietly with your thoughts. And I can say, did that experience energize you or deplete you? And you'll just know, right. That's your intuition. We might not know why. And that's what the gap is around intelligence. Um, and so that's what we're essentially able to do is build that energy intelligence, build that responsibility around personal performance. I see that um, data is a big part of, I don't know, how, how you present yourself or how you, how you work with an organisation as well. I notice even on your website you've got this, um, an ROI kind of um, calculator on there. Yeah. 
tell, talk us through some of some of the numbers and some of the things that you can help um, organisations understand through that. Yeah, so I, I think this is, you know, this has actually been a really, I guess, part of one of the biggest challenges in doing what I do, right, is, is, is getting, uh, presenting, I guess, a compelling case for investment, first of all. So why would people, why would an organization invest in their people in this way? And being able to have those investments judged exactly the same way any other investment in capital or learning and development would be. And so I think that's really, really important that if I'm to sit down with a CFO or a chief risk officer, that I can share this a set of data and I can say, these are the risks that I've identified. These are the capacity gaps, essentially. So, you know, the first conversation I'll have with a client is, uh, I'll say, ask them to take me through their strategic objectives. And I'll say, well, how much of your KPIs, your OKRs, whatever they're, they're measured against, assumes that your people have high capacity, right? Or requires your people to have high capacity. And most of them actually have never been asked that question before. But the assumption is, that everybody's got enough gas in the tank to help that happen, right? Uh, if all we're just gonna basically, you know, thrash them mm. to get the results that we need. And that's not sustainable, you know? Um, and this is why we have these epidemics around mental health issues, epidemics around burnout, because what we know is this, um, and there, there's a, a great piece of research that I could actually I'll, I'll share with you afterwards that you can put on the blog, but um, which is showing that, you know, the ways in which we choose we know, we know that ultimately well-being is a determinant of the success of a business, right? Their ability to grow. You can, you can only achieve what you've got energy for, right? Whether that's at a personal or collective level. Uh, but we know that the ways in which we drive growth or, or pursue growth actually uh, go against people's well-being, you know? And so, uh, and so really, I guess it's about as I said, just it shouldn't be judged. And I, I feel like this is a thing. We shouldn't be asking a C-suite to judge an investment any differently just because it's around well-being. It still needs to hold up as a business case around that return on investment and the delivery of outcomes. So so what are some of the numbers that you that commonly that you work with and that, that you see coming up again and again? Yeah. So there's so what we've done is um, uh, we've created two benchmarks essentially. So this is about elevating the conversation from generally the perception that when we're dealing with well-being, it's actually a problem that we're dealing with, right? To actually it being about an opportunity, a performance opportunity. And so we've got two benchmarks, one around capacity. So essentially the amount of energy that people have uh, to achieve. Uh, and what we know, for instance, is the top 20% of talent that we've worked with feel that they have enough energy 81% of the time, right? So, you know, and that's a really human statistic as well, right? It's not about perfection. If, if, if you woke up and went, I've got enough eight, energy eight out of 10 days, life's gonna be pretty good, yeah? Um, uh, but what we know is on average, most people only say about 53%, right? So they've only got a mm. half a tank of gas. If you think about that, if you've got only a half a tank of gas, you're only going to get halfway to your destination. You're not going to get all the way there. So, mm. uh, so that's the first benchmark we've, we've created. And what that means is that that top 20% of talent has a 42% performance advantage over the average, right? So those people are turning up better. They're delivering better quality work. They're making less mistakes 
obviously they're more productive they're nicer to each other you know all of these these other human benefits that come out of that um and then the second benchmark that we've created is actually based around positive psychology research and we know there's a, so much data out there now whether you look at gallup or other positive psychology um uh leadership programs those types of things which demonstrate the impact of strengths-based interventions on all sorts of things from engagement to profit uh to sales all of that sort of stuff um what we know from the the benchmark we've created here is there's certain behaviors identified through positive psychology that are strongly correlated to innovative outcomes and that's what organizations need is we need that type of intelligence in our organizations because why would a customer buy you unless you're giving them something new you're solving problems for them you're differentiated and you stand out in the market like everything comes back to this idea of innovation and creativity uh and so we've created a benchmark around that too and uh and and, and an index essentially so what we're able to do is very quickly and this is just with 15 minutes of pre-work we can identify at an individual level right through an organizational level where uh their people sit on those against those two benchmarks and then based with that same set of data we can then work out uh, a program again tailored at a personal level or an organizational level to get them towards high performance when you said uh, half a tank of energy that reminded me of one of the f's of your model the, the fuel and I was wondering if you'd be willing to to talk a bit more about that and about the three other Fs. Yeah, th thank you for bringing that up. But I think um, like this goes back, right, I guess, right back to when I was first, even for myself, trying to to figure out a way to make myself well again. You know, because the irony in my burnout was the fact that my first career was actually in fitness. So I spent sixteen. It's a joke. I spent sixteen years jumping around in lycra you know teaching aerobics and all these uh -huh. sorts of things and and so i knew i knew a lot about the physical aspects of well-being but i didn't know around the other aspects of well-being and the decisions that i was making around my relationships my career even just the way i managed my time the decisions i made around what i said yes to and how they were impacting my energy uh and when i looked at a lot of different models out there uh there and i and i want to say first up as i feel like all all like in a way I don't really see, I don't look at things as competitively. Do you know what I mean? So I feel like every, lots of different models have come from different experiences have all got value, yeah. right? And so what we need to stay true to is the, I guess the authenticity around what we create for ourselves. And so there are a couple of things that I identified, I guess, is doing this. And this is where I guess combining my careers as well. So as a marketer, you, you know, I was thinking, well, how do I create a framework which is easy to remember um which is accessible to people mm. you know that because you're constantly fighting against stigma around this you know like aussies kiwis we're we're supposed to be staunch you know you, you tell someone that you're not your best they tell you to drink a cup of concrete you know and and so we had to had to find a way through that and so one is aussies don't like the word spiritual right and so yeah. And so it's like, uh, if you have spiritual in a framework, you know, mm. you're going to turn a lot of people off, right? Yeah. So it doesn't, it doesn't mean that they don't believe that they're something bigger. And this is why I talk about without the woo woo as well. Right? Like I, you know, we are all collectively joined. We're part of something bigger, but there are mm. certain things that just trigger people. Right. And this is what we've got to understand. And this is also the balance between, I guess, you know, this whole, everyone talks about evidence-based, you know, and stuff like that, which is, is great as well. 
However, if we stay with the language of academia, then we don't necessarily connect with people, you know, and, and that's got to be our job at the end of the day. It's not about us. What's important is that we connect with people in a way that moves them towards change. Um, and so that's why I looked at the forest. And the other thing that I thought was, from my experience, I found that mental was in everything. Right. Yep. It's not for me, it's not a separate thing. And I think it's sort of for me reinforced that sort of feeling that our, our brain and our bodies are, are different things. Right. They're not. They're the same thing, you know. And so that's why I created the, the four F's essentially to, to really bring together everything in an accessible way. And so um, if we come back to the idea of energy, what I say is the first F is fuel. Right. So we're energized when we sleep, when we sleep well, and we look after ourselves physically, right? And so those are the things that we most commonly know and understand when it comes to well-being. So sleeping well, moving, nourishing ourselves, recovering, you know, so they're things, and they're also the things that even when everything else in our life is out of control or feels out of control anyway, they're the things we have the most influence over. So even if, you know, even if I'm not working or I'm dealing with what we're dealing on now, I can still choose what time I go to bed. I can still choose what I put in my mouth you know, to nourish myself, I can still get some fresh air, you know, those things we still have in our control. Yeah. And then the second, second F is fire, uh, which is essentially about knowing what you're good at, your strengths, mm. and applying those in a way that is meaningful to you. And again, and like, and this is where we're trying to remove the judgment and stuff like that around purpose or what, if, what job is more valuable than another job. You know, it's really about just being able to apply what's unique in your strengths to, to something that's meaningful to you. And that can be grand or it can be humble. And there shouldn't be mm. no judgment. There should be no judgment against that. Um, and then the third F is feeling, which is essentially about starting with your relationship with yourself. Do I have a kind, generous, loving, compassionate relationship with myself mm. as a foundation for strong, healthy, energizing relationships with others? And then the final F is focus, which is literally how do I create space for the stuff that energizes me whilst I reframe or, or remove the stuff that depletes me. And so here it's so practical. I'm literally, one of my most popular things that I work on with people is I literally teach people how to manage their diaries, right? But through that lens of energy versus time. And so, um, and so those four Fs uh, are what, what people seem to have responded really well to. And, our assessment is based on those four Fs. So we have a series of questions related to each. Um, and, um, and then what that helps us identify is, you know, because we are holistic people, uh, even though you might have a big gap in one place, doesn't mean that's where you start, for instance, you know? So, so say for instance, if someone has a big gap of fire because they're not really that passionate about their job, they don't mm -hmm. like it. I'll say to them, actually, let's build your energy and other, the other Fs first so that you're not making life-changing decisions when you're depleted right nice. uh, so yep. you know so i think that these are these are sorts of things that that the data allows us to to really make smarter decisions about mm. so you seem to be making a, a pretty big impact around in the organizations that you work with and uh, i imagine that you've got some goals for yourself and your 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 business as you move forward um, can you tell us something about those? Ooh, yeah. So, um, you know, like I, I want to say, like, first of all, for going into this, I want to recognize all the coaches out there, all the small business owners, like this is, 
easily the hardest thing I've ever had to do, right? And and I know that you're probably many of you that are listening to this have had those moments where you feel like, I'm just gonna get a job again, <laughs> right? It's just easier just to get a salary, right? And have that security. Um, uh, so, you know, I really, yeah, I really, really, really resonate with that. And a part, a big part of what I do, right, is, the, is I talk about the reason that I have the ability to manage my energy, to manage my mental, mental well-being, to be at my best and do this for other people is actually because I've, I, I've benefited from privilege, right? So I, I've, 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 I've had um, world-class leadership development, global, I've had, I've had very expensive executive coaches. Um, I've, I've invested in my own psychotherapy. Uh, you know, I've had access to a lot of help I've got amazing, I call them friend tours, you know, this group of people that I can just call on that I've met here and there that have helped me, you know, uh, either get clarity on my thoughts or address a problem or, or, or steal some of their wisdom, you know. Um, and so all I try to do every day and is pay forward that, you know, and because it shouldn't be a privilege to have a coach is what I believe. And that's sort of one of the key, 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 key values of the business. Um, and, and it's been actually like it's been a bit of a labor of love over the last two years. We've been looking at a way that we can make coaching more accessible to people. And we've, we've, we're literally just about to launch our, our virtual coach, um, wow. which uh, will allow, so through this virtual coach, we'll be able to offer up to five, over 5.7 million unique programs to that basically the way it works is, it's called Frankie, um, Frankie basically is the coach that we all deserve is the way that I position Frankie oh, sweet. and um, and and Frankie will take you through a series of questions through our assessment around the four F's and then based on where you're at versus where you want to be then assign you a personalized curriculum that acknowledges that you probably have diminished capacity right so um, so all Frankie's gonna say is spend four to six minutes a fortnight working on one micro skill and then embedding that skill over the next fortnight and then we'll go to the next one right and so it, it's not about because uh, i think that when we're depleted when we, it's so easy to feel overwhelmed it's so easy to go where do where the hell do i start right and um and so frankie's job is to really be empathetic to that and help people on that that journey um that's something that i'm really really excited about because I feel like that's really important. And then the other thing that I would love to do, I think, you know, let's go a little bit into the future, but I really believe like the people that are gonna help us come out of this, these, like, you know, talking about multiple epidemics, right? That, that are impacting our well-being, whether it's burnout or mental health or obesity or disengagement, you know, domestic violence, like there's all these, all these examples of where we're not at our best as humans and the people that will help us change that are coaches, right? In all of their forms. And so you might be a fuel coach or a fire coach or a feeling coach or a focus coach, but that's where I'd love to get to in the, the, you know, is to support more coaches to live in their purpose as well. Um, because I feel like just be, and I know this for myself, like just because, you're a great coach and you love what you're doing doesn't mean you're great at marketing right or doesn't mean you're good at business development in fact those things can deplete you um so so that's what i'd love to do here as well is 
is actually is is is, is just make having a coach just an everyday thing, right? That we all deserve to have that. Uh, and then if we can, you know, per people's first um, first coaching experience is through Frankie because it's you know there's no there's low barriers around cost and accessibility and things like that. And then that says actually, you know what? Maybe a human, a human coach um, will help me as well. Then that's that's a great thing. I think you know the more that we can destigmatize um, those professionals that help us look after us holistically after our brains as well as our bodies. That's that's where we want to get to. T t tell me now, like in this current situation that we're in as well, um, and perhaps we're moving out of it. Who knows? But no doubt, over the past. Uh, amount of time you've been connected with organisations that have had particular struggles. What are you seeing around this particular time, and you know, a, and the kind of needs and the uh, your your reflections on that? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a really important question. Uh, literally, where I've been starting. So w when I start working with a team or an individual, literally the place I start is by is by just acknowledging that it's okay not to feel okay right now. Um, however, what we need to do is then inform and educate people about why that is, right? So I think that there's this big assumption, like I think a lot of people would say, yeah, it's okay to not feel okay. And a lot of us have probably been expressing that more than potentially we would have done before. However, that doesn't mean that we know why, right? We'll make it whether we've got all these assumptions. So one of the key ones I talk about um, is from a neuroscience point of view is that we know that uncertainty kills our dopamine you know and so if we feel off if we feel sad that's because our brains are working exactly the way they should you know you're human right and so i think mm. that combination of like it's okay like it's almost like i get a sense of relief i've got permission to not feel okay because it's actually how i'm built <laughs> you know uh but then being able to say, okay, well, guess what? We can get our dopamine flowing again, right? This is how we do it because the neuroscience informs us that the way that we get our, our dopamine flowing again is by focusing on what we can control and then starting to act on those things, you know, and then it, it just becomes a story from there. It's like, oh, well, what can I control, you know? And so we talk about, and all of our work is focused on three areas that you can control. We say, well, I can, and this is where responsibility comes back again, right? So I can take responsibility for my own energy. So the decisions that I make that recharge me around self-care. Um, and some of those I might be aware of, some of those I might not be aware of, but that's what the assessment's there to do is to help people understand some of these decisions. The second thing I take to take responsibility for is my energy impact on others. You know, so when I, when I am with people, whether virtually or in real life, how do I impact them when I in the ways in which I communicate and contribute or don't contribute, which still has an impact, right? Um, how do people feel after they've spent time with me? Uh, and then finally, we talk about, well, I can take responsibility for being really good at what I do. Uh, and this is, I guess, part of what's linked to the, the strategic conversations I'm having with my clients is I say, well, Every, every business invests a lot of time and energy in, in recruitment and talent recruitment and development, right? But if you were to boil that down, you go, well, what are you actually buying, right? So when, you're, when you buy for, for most of the jobs, 
now, definitely for the growing jobs and definitely going into this future of work, fourth industrial revolution. When you buy talent, you buy brains, right? You don't buy biceps. Mm. So we need to buy people that know how to light up their brains and we need to create the conditions for people's brains to be lit up. Right. And that's why the other aspects of well, well-being become in service to our mental well-being. Because the reason I move, the reason I sleep well is because I want my brain to light up. You know, the reason I connect, all of those sorts, sorts of things. Um, and so that, that is a big part of the conversation is going to focus on those things you can control. All right, we got that. Okay, now here are the skills that we teach people. And so the, I think what people are looking for is they want to be told what to do. Um, they want the how, um, because again, because they're depleted, um, and therefore expecting people to cognitively go, you're not going to get consistency in terms of what the learning experience will be. Um, if you, if you don't almost meet people, well, it's, it's always got to be that way, right? Every great coach meets a person where they're at. Um, and that's exactly what we try to do as well. I feel very inspired by your vision and your approach. And as we get close to the end of the episode, I was just wondering if you had any closing remarks or any special message that you'd like either HR to get or a human being to get or something about your particular way of looking at leadership. What, what is it that you'd like to share? Okay, so I, I think what I'll do is I'll, I'll talk about, I'll do one thing that's personal, one thing that's a leadership perspective, right? Because, you know, we've all connected around this idea of, of conscious leaders and what makes great leaders. So the first thing is that if I was to simplify everything, right? If, if I say to someone like this, if there's one thing I can get people to, to understand and to reflect on that will immediately make a change, it's just this whole idea that in every moment we have a choice, mm. right? In every moment we have a choice and we can choose one of two directions. We can make decisions that deplete us, which are energy vampire decisions. Right. And so, and when we, we make those decisions, we actually often become an energy vampire ourselves and we're all guilty of giving our worst energy to the people we care about the most. Mm. Right? So that's our first, that's our first choice, right? We can either choose to deplete ourselves. Um, and no one wants to be an energy vampire, right? That's what I believe. No one wants to be an energy vampire. Or we can choose to be an energist, which is about making these decisions around self-care, about expanding our own energy and then the energy of others. And so at the end of the day, if we look back and we just go, you know, just again, from non-judgmental, from a, a place of empathy, just look back at ourselves and go, what decisions did I make today? What proportion of those were energy vampire decisions versus energy decisions? Okay, what am I going to do tomorrow? And just small little incremental changes that we're doing. Like if I made it, if I made an energy vampire decision, was it because I actually didn't know how to make a different decision, and therefore there's a skill gap? You know, we can ask ourselves those questions. So that's the, that's the the, uh, the the one I think that's relevant to all of us from a leadership perspective. What I believe is that the best leaders leave their people better than they found them. Uh, and what we are trying to do with leaders is to give them a data led way to do this and actually to prove it, to measure it. We can show that these leaders are great leaders because they leave their people better than they found them. And we can prove that uh, we can prove that with the data. And then the other thing that the leaders love in that is that in, in that process, what we're trying to do 
is actually take some weight off their shoulders. You take some worry off their shoulders because if we can get your people, help your people to enable, enable, I always use the word enable. I don't like the word empower. I'm like, enable your people to take personal, more responsibility for their personal performance. That as a leader allows you to really lead, you know, to have the space to, to do what a leader should do, which is to role model, to coach and to set a vision. Um, and so, yeah, I feel like that extra level of insight will inform that next generation of leaders. Phenomenal. Mm, Thank you so much, Sean. It's been really lovely to have you. I'm wondering how do people stay in touch with you? Thank you very much for asking that. So, um, <laughs> so, uh, so if, if you know if if you if that resonated with you like i definitely love to work with people that actually do believe that like they truly want to be a leader that leaves people better than they found them we need more leaders like that um and so you can get me either through the website so energy x uh it's e-n-e-r-g-x there's no y.com.au uh is where you can see sort of what we do uh or you can get me at sean s-e-a-n at energyx.com.au connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, yeah, I'm, I, I guess what I always try to do too, even if you don't uh, have the budget to work with us, I, I just try to give away a lot of free value as well through LinkedIn and through our website. Um, our, our mini assessment, our ROI calculator, for instance, um, that you mentioned before, uh, they're all free on the website. You know, so I think the more that we can en enable ourselves, to have these conversations and to demonstrate the value of this into, into our organizations and to our, our leadership teams, then, then the better. Thank you very much, Sean. We really appreciate you spending some time with us. And again, just elevating that whole conversation about well-being in the workplace and just the, the potential that that brings to the, the future of work. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, Daryl and Lena. It's been a pleasure to spend time with you. You've been listening to Beyond Wellbeing with Daryl Brown and Lena Mberku. So if you want to get in touch with Sean, you heard what he said. He's at energx.com.au. His name is Sean, S-E-A-N, and you can get him there. And of course, you can get in touch with Lena Mberku on LinkedIn or via her website at macroleaders.com.au or myself, Daryl Brown. You can uh, search me up on LinkedIn and I'm also at upsidedownleader.com. If you enjoy uh, the podcast, please share it around and um, we look forward to uh, chatting with you again next week. <laughs>